Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. Two of them have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States, and I can't tell you how important it is for a business to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. So 12 years ago, my business partner and I, one of the companies we started was Financing Solutions. Uh, It was based on the experience that we had dealing with uh, commercial banks when we were getting our own lines of credit in place. It was just torturous dealing with banks. And we were just completely blown away about what they were requiring, what they were looking for, how long they took, how much it cost. And so we started our own company that provides uh, uh, small business lines of credit. Um, Our line of credit program is easy to get in place and expensive when used and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan for your business, which really we believe that every business should have a line of credit. If you would like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com, or give us a call at 862-207-4118. And if you apply today, we'll even give you a $250 credit on file. And just remember, the time to set up a line of credit is when you don't need it. And because our line of credit costs nothing to set up, it just makes complete sense to have it there just in case. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Paul Zerato uh, from PS Group Holdings. Uh, Paul is an Oxford University and Wharton Business School educated expert in business operations and technology, and has spent the last 20 years maximizing the bottom line of more than 1,000 global companies, including Microsoft, Goodyear, and many, many more. Um, Also, you know, Paul... Right now, we'll get a little bit more into it, but Paul, you know, really is in the business right now of buying and investing in companies. Um, he is also an expert in the domains of project uh, management, digital transformation, ERP architecture, and corporate finance optimization. He has support, uh, personally supported development of more than 20 entrepreneur assets with uh, cumulative revenues exceeding $250 million dollars. Paul is highly sought after for his speaking abilities with more than 200 events under his belt and for his insights regarding business and digital transformation by hundreds of agencies, including Fox, NBC, The New York Times, Reuters, The Inquirer, so on and so forth, and many more. Paul, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Stephen, thanks for having me. This bio is a little old, isn't it? Like yeah, you, yeah. The, I think the bio is a little old. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, because yeah. I mean, we Paul and I talked a little bit before, and so Paul, I mean, tell me mainly what you're doing now. Uh so so right now, uh, it's really four parts. Uh, one, I'm the founder and uh, chairman of uh, PS Group Holdings, uh, which is a private equity organization that I started about eight years ago, and uh, we invest in great ideas, great assets, and uh, we help them hyper accelerate for exit um, or raising capital and so on. Uh, pretty diverse, focusing on combative systems all the way to AI, uh, artificial intelligence. Um, next is I'm working with a company called Boss AI. Boss AI is the first commercially available federated machine learning platform and uh, highly complex. 
and it's taking the worlds of Databricks, H2O, Data Robots, and so on to the next level by allowing decentralized data, you know, uh, analytics to be uh, to be uh, realized. Um, I do a lot of work with veterans and uh, government contracting organizations through a company called A2E. And then um, I also do some stuff in the uh, large cap space with an organization organization called Delcon. So, so I'm I'm busy. Um, in addition, I teach at a few universities, um, and in, uh, in my free time, I uh, I'm actually in law school because I was uh, I was bored one night and I said, "What could I do with my time?" So, okay, well, I'll help you. My my business partner is a, a lawyer that has never practiced. Uh, he has defended his own uh, patents, which he did yeah. successfully, which is a very unusual. And but he uses that law degree for the businesses that we've had and the ones that he's had uh, outside of what I've had as well. So uh, that's a good good move. So you know today's podcast probably is going to get a lot of downloads. I think it's a good one. It's very uni- it's it's um, something that a lot of people are interested in. I, I you know I knew I always was, and that was you know what a buyer or investor would look at in your business. Um, and you know, the, there used to be an old adage and I, I, I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that is build your business so that somebody will want to buy it. And that's your end game. Okay. And I think the reason why I always like that is because when you're building it for somebody else, you make better decisions, I think. You build processes, you build procedures, you you invest in technology, you you really build it so that uh, the other reason too is that it, if you can build it so that someone else is going to want to buy it, um, with the with that being the end game, you you really can step away from the business and go on vacations and do what you need to do do to be a human being, <laughs> and not be so tied to the business. So um, so you know, right now you are you know, in the process of the last eight years, nine years, buying a lot of, you know, buying businesses or investing in business. So right off the gate, what is the thing that you think you notice the most in attractive businesses? So, uh, so here's the thing. I mean, I, I think you, you bring up a really good point. Um, build a business uh, to the point where someone wants to buy it. And what is it, what exactly does that mean? And w- when I look at organizations, I always look at you know, people, process, and technology, okay? And although we want to, you know, think a business can operate without us, the fact is it can't operate without people. So that's a key thing to understand. I mean, you want to build your business uh, based on roles, not named individuals. When you start building a business based on, you know, icons or anchors, you know, individuals that you can't live without, that's the first failure point of an operation. So you want to build your business based on roles and, you know, uh, fill those roles with people that are competent and loyal to actually, you know, support the organization with generating impact. Next is, uh, you know, let's go to uh, process because a lot of, a lot of uh, organizations believe that technology will save my ass. And the fact is technology doesn't save asses. It actually creates complications when you don't have the foundation of process that can actually use the technology. So I really look at process and methodology within the organization and I give them a maturity scale. You know, I put them on a, uh, a, I give them a score 
and I put them on a progression path of you know maturity progression. And when I say maturity, it means how do they operate? Why do they operate? You know, what's the purpose behind the organization? Are they efficient? Are they effective? What are the productivity levels? What are the impact levels that are being generated with the uh, the current organizational you know people and you know methodologies? I look for you know value based on practice uh, and impact generated on production rates. So too many organizations today think. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they build their businesses based on a passion. You know, I, th- I think passion is great. However, passion doesn't pay the bills. If you don't have a plan to execute, if you don't have processes and methodologies uh, to support your infrastructure, passion means nothing, you know. So I look for how it's been structured. What are the roles that are structuring it? What are the roles, you know, that are, you know, leveraging these processes and methodologies? What is the What are the efficiency rates and so on and so on? And then the last thing I look at is, typically technology, because I think most organizations are overinflated with technology because they think that's the, <laughs> that's the, you know, the savior to how they're going to progress. And when you see an organization overinflated with technology, it's actually a red flag to me um, versus people and process. So, um, so keeping it simple, we look for people, meaning roles and how those roles are being filled process, meaning, what do you do? Why do you do it? What is the impact of what you do? How does it generate impact for the organization, meaning reach revenue margin? And then technology, is it overinflated? Is it, uh, you know, is it being leveraged? Is it actually supporting the people and process, uh, you know, side of the organization? The, 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 over those eight years, I don't, I don't know if it was longer with other stuff, but have you have you had successful exits out of the businesses that you've bought that you've been investors in? Oh yeah, I don't buy assets that I'm not going to be successful. Well, with, so. it's eight years. You, yeah. know, you just don't know. I mean, the, you know, the adage for investors, for angel investors, where is that? You know, for every ten deals you do, you want one to make it big time, right? Yeah, and so this is actually the traditional mindset. So, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, I think the disruptors within uh, segments are the ones that are succeeding, and I would consider myself a disruptor. Um, so my background goes 25 years and, uh, I focus on, you know, technology and how to leverage technology to support people and process. And when it comes to investing, I don't blindly invest in donuts. You know, I, I focus on, you know, performing a deep, you know, analysis of, of, um, you know, why the organization may succeed. So I, I actually have developed a, a model on success probability for organizations that we invest in. And um, I would say that I I really don't have any losers in the past eight plus years that I've invested in. Prior to that, I was entrenched in organizations that I actually was building myself. So now I rely on others to build them, but we give them a roadmap and architecture to follow uh, so they can also be successful. I think Every organization can be successful if they have the right plan to execute. That's the problem is too many people don't plan to execute. They execute to plan, you know, so. Yeah, you know, I have a personal question that I was involved in angel funding too for three years. And um, if a company that you buy, it's going to be really a a simplistic question that I should know. But if... uh, if you if it's a company that you're going to buy is not is um, 
producing revenue and I'm sorry, and producing good profits. And you're, and I assume that you're taking those profits and typically putting it back in the company at, at any point, do you start cutting yourself in on that? Um, actually I have me personally, I haven't. So it's, um, from a, from an investment standpoint, I, I've always, always, I've always rolled my investments into the organization to focus on, you know, greater and deeper reach, um, with people, process, methodology, and tech. So, um, if you have an organization that actually is producing profits from an investor standpoint, so that's actually, I would say that's a, uh, in most cases, it's an, an anomaly. So it's like most angels don't right. invest in profitable organizations. They invest in great ideas and people and, you know, you know, uh, assets, IP that they believe will go somewhere. You know, the challenge with investors is they blindly invest in most cases and they're not implementing a plan of execution. They rely on the investment and the teams of the investment to continue progressing, you know, and they hope, oh, I hope, I hope it's going to go somewhere. Um, that's a traditionally angel investor. I'd say on my side, we actively, uh, you know, engage with the investment. We like to, um, we like to see methodology. We like to see plan. We like to see how they're investing our money. Uh, we like to influence. And uh, at sometimes we actually, um, we take over management responsibility because, I'd say most entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs aren't really good managers. They're re- they're inspirational. They have great ideas. Um, many of them suck at managing, you know. So, um, you know, and you know, even even the 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 the, uh, the name of the uh, the podcast, you know, the MBA. You know, uh, I think an MBA is just a it's just a basic framework to have some sense of what an organization needs, you know. And the challenge is entrepreneurs wear so many hats and they're pulled in so many directions. Um, there's, they don't know how to grow an organization past a certain point, you know? So, so and, have you, so you, have you like the organizations that you've uh, invested in, have you come in, um, introduced your, your process framework and then bring on a manager so that the, the entrepreneur can step away from that role? Um, in many cases, what we'll do, what we'll do is we'll bring on a team of mentors, and what we'll do is we'll evaluate the asset and the progression of uh, leadership and management. And the fact is, if an entrepreneur is hesitant on giving up their title to allow for a professional manager to progress them, then uh, they're they're bound to fail anyway. So yeah. you, you, I wouldn't even you know continue with them. So you want you want entrepreneurs that are open minded and they allow, you know, those parties that are supporting them to accelerate what they do well and to fill the gaps of what they don't do well. And if an entrepreneur is not a good manager, guess what? An entrepreneur should have enough, you know, you know, uh, ego to sit back and say, I understand I'm not a good manager. Thanks for telling me, but I'm really good at inventing stuff. So I'm going to go invent. And let other people manage. You know, if you take a look at Facebook, you know, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and so on, like these weren't built by managers. These weren't built by operators. These were built by, you know, inventors, you know, and they surrounded themselves with great operators to actually get them to succeed. Like, 
don't think Mark Zuckerberg, you know, created Facebook. You know, Mark Zuckerberg coded the first Facebook, but Mark Zuckerberg was a cog in the wheel and he was the visionary that helped progress Facebook with a team of great operators that created value and bottom line margin for Facebook, you know? So, and yeah, he, so I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think I, I, I don't want to, uh, I have to ask this question. So yeah, yeah. Uh, all because I'm, I'm very curious and that is, okay. So you're, you're investing in these companies. It's been an eight year period of time. You're not taking any money um, out of the companies, which I, I get it. And I, you know, like you said, they're probably not producing probably that, that profit anyway. Um, you you want to grow their top line, their revenue. Um, so you have this money that's sitting out there, right? You don't have any income coming in. Uh, at what are, are you using other people's monies too? Uh, I mean, so you know where where's your out on this? Where are you going to get the money? You know, it's it's it could take another five years. It could take another ten years to get that money out uh, of what where you are. Yeah, I think I think you misunderstood me. So it's uh so so here's the here's the here's the game plan. So when you when you become a um you know I like to call some investors one-shot wonders who, you know, they throw their money into an asset, they hope it rolls and they need money to live. And they're like, "Oh, wow, when's this thing going to make me money? You know, I can't live without my money. I can't pay my rent." I'm not one of those people. So I have I have done this several times. I've had, you know, pretty sizable exits. So I have, uh, I actually have a, a uh, you know, call it a fund that I've generated that is leveraged to create greater impact in gotcha. uh, with these assets. Yep. And the thing is, you put them on a rolling exit model. Most most people go, okay, well, this is going to be a ten year endeavor. No, that's a traditionalist mindset. So making money with investments is, you know, it's based on how you accelerate the asset. So it's based on where you're progressing the asset. So I would say I make money on my assets starting day one to 12, you know, 12 months. It's like, um, and I'll give you an example. So it's, it doesn't mean you have to exit to make money. It means you have to get to a point where you can take distributions and it's not going to you know harm the impact generation of a company. Now, here's a key thing to understand. Most people, you, you mentioned you know, you're focused on top line of the organization revenues. So that that's also a very traditional mindset. So, and I agree, 99% of the people out there think that way. They're like, okay, let me get the revenues where they should be, then I could get value. However, I look at value based on a three-part model. Um, and I def- have defined it as something called impact. Impact is based on reach, revenue, and margin. And what do we do with that? So reach means how many people can I influence with my asset? So most organizations focus on revenue, which is typically like an 80-20 rule. They get 80% of their revenue from you know a small percentage of their customer base, right? And that creates a liability for valuation. So me as a investor, I go, okay, let me value this company 80-20. They get 80% of their revenue from a small subset of customers. It's going to actually create a valuation liability. Versus the impact model, which focuses on reach. So what I want is I want to reach as many heads as I can to generate a buck. And the more heads you reach to generate a buck, kind of the Facebook model, let's 
get a penny from a billion people, you know, because now we have diversity in how we generate revenue. And if we can increase reach and also inflate revenue at the same time with a minimum margin valuator, then guess what? Your 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 valuation calculations are going to go from three to eight to forty x overnight. Those that focus on revenue have to deal with you know liability you know factors to diminish your valuation. Those that focus on impact impact valuators with deep reach actually can bypass and alleviate you know the uh, the liability factors. So. What I do is I try to increase valuation as quickly as possible. And then what we'll do is we'll look for either investments from our own pot. We'll look for investments from other you know, uh, uh, avenues of capital to continually inflate value, you know, continually inflate value. And then when you can take an organization within a 12-month period, take it from making no money to having a market valuation of $50 billion, you know, fairly quickly – then it's exit time. Now you're collaborating with PEs, VCs, you know, private investors to buy, you know, shares of your organization. And that's where you actually make the most money. So you don't make money taking a distribution on profit because, you know, it's not considering the valuation factor. You know, when you consider the valuation factor first, then you can take very large, handsome, you know, returns on your investment. And that's how I actually sustain and do extremely well. The the uh, tell me a scenario where you went into uh, not a scenario, but tell me the most common thing that you see that when you go into a company to evaluate for the potential that you'll become an investor in it, that you go in there and you're like, "Ugh, man, I'll, this is a I'm not going to do this because of this." So what is the most common? It's uh, arrogance. I would say say the majority of organizations that you deal with right now, it's filled with arrogance. Everyone knows everything. Nobody wants to hear what they're doing wrong. Everybody wants to hear what they're doing right. Everyone knows everything. And the problem is, you know, swallow your pride because – you're, 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 you know, you're a five million dollar company, fifteen, twenty five million dollar. You're not a billion dollar company. Your, your name's not Elon Musk. You know, he's an anomaly of the uh, within the world. But it's like all these organizations. They wonder how do I get to a hundred million? Okay, rule number one: shut up. All right, stop being so damn arrogant. Stop thinking you know everything about what you do. You know, stop thinking you are just the, you know, the 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 master of that domain. Because the reality is. Someone always knows more than you. And my philosophy is continually surround yourself with those that know more and bring people into your team. Like I will shut my mouth in a second if I recognize people know more. Even if they I don't recognize, I still shut my mouth to learn and listen and try to grow with that individual. But um, yeah, biggest limiting factor is arrogance. So now uh, on, the, on the opposite side of that, what is the number one thing? Let's just say, that, uh, let's get past the point where the owner isn't arrogant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now let's look at the positive. Let's, you, you're, look, you're looking at something, whatever. What is the thing that you look at and you say, oh, they, they, this is up my alley. This is, this is good. I would say it comes down to the... Um the, the impact ratio, the forecasted impact ratio. So 
Um, and I'll give you an example. Like, um, so I'm working with one organization right now that's again doing the uh, the federated machine learning. And you know, even though they're not generating the large you know revenues and they don't have the greatest amount of reach right now, the the impact to the marketplace and to industries is so grand that if you, if they get it right the 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 probability of just a minuscule amount of success means not millions but billions possibly trillions in valuation because you can impact others if organizations have ideas and assets that can be transferable within you know to customers that's the magic. That's the secret sauce. You know, it's like selling products. Great. Selling service. Great. But if you, if you don't have an asset that is transferable, that inflates the customer and the purchasers valuation, then it, it's not going to be a huge industry, you know, uh, disruptor. That's what I look for. The ability to transfer IP asset into the customer's hands and then they can leverage that to actually inflate their own value. When you can have, you know, cascading valuation and exponential valuation inflators, that's the secret sauce. That's what I look for. So um is the problem with those companies the execution of their idea or is it that they um uh you know the the nuts and bolts of the executing it or is the issue that their idea isn't it's just it's not there yet it, it's gonna have to pivot a little bit more but you see the potential for the idea the idea itself why isn't the idea gravitating working why isn't that idea going is, is it the execution of it or is it the idea itself well it, it's it could be it could be one of or it could be many of many factors so it's it's not just it's not always one thing it could be it could be, you know, how you're communicating the narrative. It could be the brand equity. It could be the, you know, one word is wrong in your subtitle. It could be, you know, as far as the solution, it could be that the solution is really good, but nobody understands what it does. Maybe you're too technical. Maybe the narrative is too deep. Uh, maybe you need to bring it up a few layers, you know? So, so that's the thing. It's not always one thing. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, one or many things that could be causing a limitation on growth. And as an expert in value acceleration, you need to understand that value isn't one thing. Value is many things. And you need to quantify those different characteristics of an organization. And you need to find the gaps and why those characteristics aren't hyperinflating. If you can do that, then you can actually create a plan. And if you can create a plan, you can actually execute a plan. Sometimes you don't have the right people to execute and it requires, you know, a deeper, you know, reorganization to ensure that you can execute. So. Yeah. The, um, uh, what, so in order to do that, I'm assuming that you, you have to kind of, as you, um, at Paul, uh, that you have to kind of stay in verticals because in order to see a vision of where that company can go, you kind of got to know a little bit about the space. Is that accurate to say? Um, I would say it's not accurate. So I would say that. Okay. Um, so think of it like this, right? So, um, so are you? You're able to drive a. Uh, what kind of car do you have? Jeep. Oh, Jeep. Right. It's easy to drive. Simple. 
Well, all cars are simple, aren't they? Okay, so you just made a really good point. All cars are simple. So, so you know how to drive a Jeep. You know there's a steering wheel, there's a pedal, there's a brake, there's blinkers, there's a horn. And the thing is, if you go into a uh, a you know a, a Dodge Durango, is it going to be similar to the Jeep? Yep. But it's very different, actually. You know, mm. so that's how. That's how business works too, you know. So think of business like a car. All businesses have, you know, fundamental similarities. All businesses will have pretty much eighty percent of all the same administrative rules. They have to follow a certain regulatory process for HR, finance. You know, uh, marketing is almost the same. Uh, product management is pretty much the same. Execution is very similar across the board from an administrative standpoint. From an operated operational standpoint. That's where the differences begin. But if you really look at the fundamental side, think of like, you know, uh, Pfizer. They produce medical, you know, pharmaceuticals. And compare that to McDonald's, right? So if you look at the fundamentals of, of um, you know, line manufacturing, it's actually, actually the same. It's almost identical. You know, it sounds st- silly to say that McDonald's making a cheeseburger is similar to Pfizer producing a pharmaceutical, but the methodology is the same. One is more complex than the other. One has more regulatory, you know, uh, 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 wrappings, but it's actually very similar. They go down a step-by-step process. You're creating quality assurances. You're ensuring that the output is of a certain standard that's going to impact the world. So if you start looking at organizations from a, comparable, you know, uh, a model such as that, it's actually fairly easy. So verticalization is based on context, is based on narrative. So when I evaluate companies, people go, well, how, it's interesting how you can be so diverse. Actually, I'm not being diverse. You're the one who is close-minded to how these organizations are the same. So what I do is we evaluate the organizations in a very similar manner, from an administrative standpoint and a operator operational standpoint. Now, what you do is now the goal is to wrap and understand the specific narratives of what service they may be producing, what products they may be producing. And the reality is there's, you know, what, 12 verticals, 16 verticals based on the, uh, you know, government, you know, naming conventions. And the reality is you don't, I don't need to be an expert in developing pharmaceuticals. I need to be an expert in administration in production, operational, uh, um, you know, um, you know, efficiencies, and then I would get an expert to support that specific narrative for go to market. Okay, so you templatize how you're actually, you know, operating, how you're performing administration, and then from there you can get very specific on the narratives to ensure success. So, uh, so let's put you through a scenario. You're, you, you, you've gotten introduced to a company that you're interested in and you, and you go and you're um, going to sit down with the business owner uh, for the first time. Um, I'm sure you, you know, you'll do some due diligence before you go. And so you go in, tell me the type of questions that you typically, and, and this, is, uh, this isn't about you, the, you mm-hmm. know, Paul. This is uh, to help my listeners understand yeah, yeah, yeah. what you know, what someone's going to be looking at and what questions they're going to ask and what, you know, what they need to be prepared for. So Paul, tell me like a typical scenario of some things that you'll dive into. So that's, that's actually a really, really, really good question. So, um, 
So what I typically do is um, I actually have a whole methodology behind this. So uh, so what I do is I actually go through a full pre-assessment uh, methodology on how I work with the organizations. And uh, I break down. I So what I do is I, I before I even speak with the owners, I speak with the owners, but if they want to proceed with me, I actually put them through a, a requirements gathering model. So I request certain artifacts about the organization. We focus on a few domains, including organizational management, client management, uh, project management, training. Uh, I look at capital investments. I look at their financial outlook. And within those you know, key broad categories, I'm looking at their overall plan of operations, the organizational hierarchies, how they're defining resourcing. Um, I don't want to know who. I want to know why and the the, the what, why and 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 how. I want to understand the roles. I want to understand their their organizational makeup from a financial standpoint. The why and how. I look for historical financial data. Most organizations give you today because today is always better than yesterday, um, in their eyes, especially if they're trying to you know progress and raise cap. So I, I look for historical details, typically three years. I look for forecast details. I try to understand the organizational mission, vision. I want to understand how everything they do aligns with the organization's mission and vision. Uh, we look at internal systems. We look at growth and stability metrics. We look at marketing metrics. We look at their definition of market penetration. And then, um, you know, that's just a few things we look at. And what I do is uh, we typically go through a verification process. And what I mean by that is, I like to understand who and why I'm working with them. And a lot of people, I'm okay with people that inflate their business, but don't overinflate. Don't overinflate to the point where it is, uh, it's blatantly lying and creating fraud and misrepresenting the organization. So will my teams will actually go through and validate the substance you provide. Um, you know, so for example, if you say you're from Harvard, and you went, I like, I'll give you an example. Someone once said, well, I went to Harvard and I'm like, wow, that's a great buzzword. And um, here's the reality. They didn't go to, they went to, they visited Harvard to go buy a cup, but they didn't, they didn't attend Harvard. <laughs> they didn't get a degree from Harvard. So it's like, so people who, you know, misrepresent the truth and the facts, that's already a red flag. You know, so those are things we're looking for is like how to track and validate, you know, the veracity of data, and you know, what does that mean for the organization? Because if if you can't provide accurate information on a pre-assessment, it tells me a lot about your organization, and you're probably not going to provide accurate and uh, factual information going forward as a partner. So, what about, um, you know? I are there companies that you've been getting involved with ones that are already thinking of selling or getting an investor? Um, let's, let's do, let's do the investor standpoint. They're thinking about getting, I guess they're already getting investors. Are you going, are you, are you getting in on the first round or is it, are they farther along already? They've had a series A and they've already been going along. It, it really just depends on the organization. So we have some that are early stage. We have some that are on, you know, uh, D rounds, um, E rounds. So it's, it really just depends. So, yeah. So let's be clear, uh, you know, because I think if, if, if someone's getting initial investor, right. And you start throwing all the things out that you just said, yeah. right. They're going to 
run for the hills because they're running a business at the same time, right? And it's not personal for uh, on you. It's just yeah. the fact that I know I've been there and I'm like, you know what? I got a business to run. I can't sit here and give you all the stuff that you want. And nor if it's a smaller organization, would you probably get into that amount of depth? Uh, is that fair to say? At least in the beginning. Um. Well, I have a philosophy on that too, because um, those organizations that run for the hills are the ones that are probably going to fail. Because mm-hmm. if you can't produce your financial statements for the last three years, I mean, I'm you not talking about that. Yet. That's easy. I'm talking. That's easy. But when you start getting into filling out, you know, lots and lots of detailed questions about, uh, you know, you, you know that it's a lot. I don't, yeah, I don't but I'm not. It. I'm actually not asking them questions. I'm asking them to provide the substance that they leverage to run their organization. So marketing plans and marketing spend, um, you know, project management systems and methodologies, like those are things that. Think about that. I mean, if you are if you're filing taxes, you have finances. So just show what you got. If you don't have it, then just say, I don't have it. I haven't filed my taxes yet. And you, you sit back and you go, okay, well, you're planning on filing taxes, right? So what do you use to manage your your checkbook? So show me your checkbook. And if if like if you hired people, there has to be a reason for hiring them, you know. So so that's a key thing, is like where I'm not looking for a specific format. I'm looking for, you know, context to how they run the business. So that's a big thing. Like too many entrepreneurs, and this is an interesting point, is that too many entrepreneurs, they go, I run a business and I'm too busy to do X, Y, and Z. So, so think about those statements. If you're running a business, running a business means you have a company. Having a company means you have to be fiscally responsible and operationally responsible to run the business because it's not you. It's actually an asset that has been registered, it's actually an individual that you're supporting called a company. So to run that company and ensure it's healthy, you have to do finances, you have to do marketing, you have to do all this planning to ensure it succeeds. And if, like, I hate the entrepreneurs that go back, that will come up to me and they go, well, I'm running an online eBay shop doing 5 million a year and I'm too busy to do any of this. Okay, Slick, how long do you think you're going to be operating a $5 million eBay business? For, for long. Because once you don't do your taxes, your finances, first, the IRS is going to shut you down. And then when you have all those returns, possible returns, someone's going to shut you down. So how do you even deal with that kind of a disruption? You know, so it's not, it's not like things I'm asking for to create complexities. It's to minimize, it's, it's called risk mitigation also. Because if an organization, an entrepreneur, they're not doing any of this and they bitch and complain that you know they, they don't have it, they're already creating gaps and they're setting themselves up for failure due to you know disruption that I'm not going to bring, that someone's going to bring because it always happens. You know? And, and no, to, to your listeners, if anyone out there is doing $5 million on an eBay selling stuff you picked up from a, from a Marshalls- Well, they're or, not one of your- there, there wouldn't be- you yeah, it's not one of my clients. Then. However, yeah, however, yeah. we did, we just did a uh, a roll up of uh, Amazon and eBay companies that do like three to five million. So we started purchasing those companies. So um, because private equities are looking for reach, so reach is another game to create value from a uh, you know uh, for investors. So, but 
even those, it's like I've seen so many of them come and go, and like they get shot, they shoot themselves in the foot because they're not doing any planning. So, yeah, I uh, one of the suggestions I would make to our listeners too, based on what Paul's saying too, is that I think your organization gets better when you when you have someone who comes in who says, uh, you know, either they're going to be an investor, or they're potentially going to buy your company, even even if you're not interested at this time of, 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 you know, of getting an investor or getting a buyer. I think you learn a lot by how to run a good business by listening to the questions there they ask and, and seeing if you can produce those things. I, I, it made me, it made me a lot better, right. As, as an owner and, uh, and so, you know, I, uh, and I, I kind of try to pride myself in having a really well-run organization. And yeah, Stephen, so if- you, you actually said it in the beginning, your, one of your first statements is you should only build a business you're looking to sell, you know? So it's like, it's like, why have a business? What? Because it's always going to make you money. That's not how business works. You no. should run a business and build a business for someone else who would potentially buy it. So if you do all these things, guess what? you're being fiscally and operationally responsible with building a business because one day you may want to exit. So, yeah. And even, and even if you think, Oh, I'm not going to exit. I, you know, I think that, uh, I think you'll find, I, I have 27 years of experience building companies. You are going to find that the more experience you get, that you are going to want to, uh, get out. You really are. Um, and if you don't think that way, I, I tell you, you're, you're, you're risking a lot. You're risking a lot. And you, and, and I, I tell you, if you think, well, I'm going to hand this over to my kids. Um, I mean, I'm not a big proponent of that, but I'm going to tell you too, is don't you want to hand something to your kids that is going to be well run? Because and, and that's, gonna- a, that's an even funnier comment too, because like, I, I see these a lot of these organizations we're dealing with a steel company right now that uh, handed the business off to their kids and guess what the kids want to do they want to sell it sell it <laughs> so because sell they it. don't have the passion that they don't have passion and for it and yeah. yeah and it and there's there's a lot of other reasons too I mean I honestly if you want to screw up your family hand them a business okay <laughs> and they're all really? scrambling right now because they didn't expect to sell it so they're missing so many things and guess what happens. Yep. Liability, yeah. risk factors, decreases valuation, and instead of getting a billion dollars, you're going to get a couple million. So, no, and also crazy. the execution too. I mean, uh, yeah. you, you hand it over, and it can't be the execute. You know, even if the kids don't sell it, well, you know, good luck with that. That's going to yeah, be exactly now they got to reinvent it. But that kid's going to be pretty special to be able to yeah. take that business over. And I see it all the time. So, oh yeah, uh, you know, but we got a little bit off topic there. So. You know, it's really, it's a great conversation and I found it very uh, interesting. It's been a while since I've kind of gone back at um, thinking through the way Paul looks at things, uh, you know, the way we used to look at things, what my business partner and I had spent three years looking at angel funding. Um, and and we looked at like, I don't know, 500 companies and it was kind of crazy. And then we we never pulled the trigger on any of them. We just didn't like the model of uh, uh, angel investing. We just didn't like it. So uh, we went on and started financing solutions. And then we started another company called Elite Funeral Funding. Uh, and um, and uh, we just said, we'll do it ourselves. So um, anyway, I, I'd like to thank so very much for a very interesting conversation uh, with Paul. 
uh, Zarto. Uh, did I pronounce it correct or no? <laughs> it's, it's actually, if anyone looks at my name, they all say the same way as Zarto, but it's Ciarto. Ciarto. You can't Ziarto. even look at it when you say it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's spelled, for, for our listeners, it's S-Z-Y-A-R-T-O. And he's from PS Group Holdings. For you know, I'd like to thank Paul for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend, and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Um, and also, if you like today's podcast, please uh, give us a, a good review. It really helps us a lot. The Entrepreneur MBA podcast has become extremely popular, and we're really proud of that. I love doing it. That's why I do it. Uh, I just really enjoy it. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at eight six two two zero seven four one one eight or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Paul, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you, could all, you could always reach me on my uh, website, uh, Paul Ciardo, P-A-U-L-S-Z-Y-A-R-T-O.com. Or uh, I have a book coming out, uh, The Never Broken Mindset. And you could, re- you could actually take a look at that over the next two, three weeks and uh, always reach me there. Great. You know, I want to tell our listeners too, you know, listening to Paul and uh, – you know, I, I'm a process-driven guy. I am. I, I really like processes. I really believe in it. Um, you know, I, I think it became very obvious to me that Paul is a process-driven guy too. Mm-hmm. And to me, successful businesses are built on incredible execution. Um, and, you know, processes – you say that to an entrepreneur and in most cases, 90%, they, they, they just, they're like, oh, my God, I hate that. Right? Yep. <laughs> I hate processes, right? They're afraid of process. They're afraid of it, right? But if you want to build a great organization, I'm sorry to tell you, that's what it takes. It doesn't take, you know, the great idea that you have and all of a sudden it's just going to take off because the idea is yeah. so amazing. There's so many ideas out there that were amazing idea that just were implemented and executed like crap. Yep. And yep. so you got to start changing your organization. Now, maybe that's you have something else responsible for that, like what Paul says. Like he comes in, he makes sure that, that to me, I think the value with Paul's organization is that he probably comes in, he really helps better uh, you understand how the importance of processes. Is that fair to say? Yeah, correct. Yeah, good. All right. So anybody, listen, get out there, learn more build processes uh, and and really kind of keep getting your business better and think about the end result, which is, you know, how would I sell this business today or tomorrow? All right, everybody have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening. <laughs>